0: over the last few weeks we've been learning about the armour of God as has already been said and and that's God's way of protecting us from all of the nasty things that the devil would want to throw at us and and today's topic is the helmet of salvation and the helmet of salvation um, yeah, it's not a motorbike helmet, it's not a pushbike helmet, it's not a skid lid for horses um, because these things are designed to protect us from accidents whereas the The devil's attacks, well, there's nothing accidental about them. They're purposeful and they're directed. The armour of God, as we've been discovering over the last few weeks, is described in the terms of military armour. Because the armour of God protects us from these purposeful and directed attacks of the devil. As we walk day by day following God, we are in a spiritual battle. There's all sorts of temptations, there's all sorts of burdens, All sorts of trials, all sorts of hardships, pain, suffering, sickness, disease, trouble, misery, worries, anxieties, tribulations. All sorts of attacks are hurled at us by the devil all the time. And if you have in your head the idea that, oh, when I become a Christian, everything's going to be nice and rosy. It's going to be so much easier. It's going to be so much better. Life's going to be so much simpler. Well, you're wrong. This this armour that we're talking about, it's God's armour given to Christians. He outfits Christians with his armour because we need it. See, the devil doesn't so much need to go attacking his own foot soldiers because they do a pretty good job of getting themselves into a fair bit of trouble. He concentrates his fire on his enemy, on God's children. And so we're told in the scriptures to stand strong against these attacks. And the only way that we can do it, we can't do it in our own strength, we can only stand strong against the schemes of the devil if we take up the armour of God and we put on the armour of God. The only way that we can do it is that way because it is God's battle and it's God's armour that gives us protection. Now, obviously, one of the most important parts of the, of the body to protect in a battle Is the head. Now, there's a a reason roo shooters shoot roos in the head. It's because as long as you don't miss, they just don't go much further. You don't have to chase them all over the paddock to find them. And, And in a battle, there's a very specific term used to describe someone who's foolish enough to go into battle without a helmet. Do you know what they're most often called by the end of the battle? A corpse. The head needs protecting. Verse 17 says, And take the helmet of salvation. The word take, it it, it doesn't mean to steal away. It means receive. I, I could take something from you if you're unwilling and come and steal it from you. But that's not the word that's used here. It's actually the word means receive. It means God is offering something to us. God offers us salvation, but there's something we have to do. We have to actually accept it. We have to receive it. We take it. And we, we've just come through the Christmas season. And Christmas, Does anybody here like Christmas? Oh, five of you. Oh, good. Good. I'm, I'm one of six then. Yeah, we love Christmas. And and, and the best part of our Christmas is especially if there's kids in the house, isn't it? get up on Christmas morning and, and there there's the gifts. Now, I want you to imagine that, that you've gone out and, and you've been searching for the perfect gift for your child. And, and and you've gone to shop to shop and you've thought, you've researched online, you're thinking, oh, now this is going to be the perfect gift. Oh, no, no, here's something better. And you just keep looking, And finally, you find that, that perfect gift. And it's something that they're going to need and it's something that, that they're going to use. And you know they're just going to love it and it's just going to, be a fantastic present. And, and, and blokes, you take it to your wife and get them to wrap it up because we're hopeless. Um, and they wrap it up and it looks all beautiful and lovely. What was that look? Is that what happens there? No, you're the wrapper-upper, Scott. Yeah, wow. <laughs> What's your bloke? <laughs> and, and, and there's this beautiful gift in Christmas morning you pick up this gift you say, Merry Christmas. Mum and Dad love you very much. And we know you'll be very happy with this. And the kid says, No thanks. And walks away. And you're left holding on to the gift. How wrong is that? It doesn't happen, does it? Unfortunately, it happens with God. God is wanting to save us. Um, But we have to be a people who want to be saved. God is offering this gift of salvation. The perfect gift. The gift that we all need. But we've got to want it. We have to actually take it. We have to actually receive it. You know, and so I guess the first thing that we have to decide is... Is this salvation thing that we're hearing about, well, is it something that's even worth receiving? I mean, I could offer you a Mars bar this morning. I'm not going to because I don't have any. Um, but if I was to, to offer you a Mars bar, you've got the choice whether you're going to accept it or not. You might say, oh yeah, I love Mars bars, thank you very much. Or you might say, well, no thanks Hugh, you actually. I've just gone through Christmas and I can do without the calories at this stage. Um, you've got to work out whether it's going to be worthwhile eating that Mars bar or not. But this is no Mars bar we're talking about. This is is salvation that we're talking about. Is salvation something that's worth having? Who can save me from this mess that I've made in my life? Who can save me from my wickedness? Who can save me from death? Who can save me from sin? Who can save me from God's righteous anger that he holds against me because of all of the injustices that I have been party to? Who can save me? Who can save you? Well, God can. And that's what salvation is all about. Now, we, we might think of salvation as some grand religious theological term that we could never possibly understand, but it simply means to be saved by God. And salvation begins at the cross on which Jesus Christ was crucified. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. That's very true, isn't it? Those who don't believe in Jesus, those who are perishing, they think the cross is an absolute nonsense. I mean, what are you going to go believing in all that religious, all that mumbo-jumbo Christian stuff? It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, I know the cross, the message of the cross, it just sounds crazy. It sounds like a terrible defeat, like Jesus Christ came into the world to save us and then all of a sudden he's executed, nailed to a cross, killed there. Than a spear shoved through the side just for good measure. And so the cross sounds like a defeat. To say that we're saved through the cross just sounds like foolishness. That's the way it sounds. But not to those who are being saved. Because to those who are being saved, the message of the cross is the power of God. But how can that be? Well, it's because the cross is not a defeat, it is a victory. Yeah, Jesus was killed, sure enough. But he's not dead anymore, is he? Is he? No! You now, if, if we are in, in one of the um, African-American churches, I'd say, he's not dead anymore. Everybody in the church would go, no way, he's not dead, he's alive. Is that... Is there, that, yeah, okay. We, we might be quite that excited. Jesus isn't dead anymore. He conquered sin in his death And he conquered death in his resurrection. The cross was a victory. And to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. God was determined to save us. And there was no other way that he could do it. If there was, don't you think God would have chosen the other way? The night before Jesus was crucified, he, he went to the garden to pray. Right, This was a place he used to often go. He'd go into the garden of Gethsemane and just spend time with his heavenly father and there he prayed that he would be spared the pain he said father if you're willing take this cup from me now that sounds all very formal doesn't it you can imagine it going more like this dad there's any other way can we do it another way If there's any other way, I don't want to be nailed to the cross. Is there another way? If you're willing, please. I don't want to go through this. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. You can imagine the anguish, can't you? I don't want to do it. Is there another way? But it was the only means to salvation. And so he prayed, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I'm willing. I'll do it. What we all have to realise is salvation is something we need. It's something that we cannot do without, but it's out of our reach. I can't save myself. I can't be your saviour and you can't be my saviour. None of us can possibly attain salvation. The scriptures say there is no one righteous, not even one. Salvation is just completely out of our reach. We can just try and try and try, and try. we can stand on tippy toes, we can even get our older kids who seem to be taller than us, our children who seem to be taller than us, to reach for it and they can't find it. It's completely out of our reach, except for the fact that God gives it to us for free. Jesus Christ died on the cross to save us. That's mercy. And he gives us salvation for free. That's grace. And that is the whole purpose of why Jesus Christ allowed himself to be nailed to the cross. So there it is. Salvation is paid for. It's available. And it's on offer. All we have to do is receive it. Just like that child that was offered the present. We actually have to want it and say, oh yes please, yes please. The fact that Jesus died on the cross doesn't mean that we all automatically get into heaven. We only get salvation if when we hear the good news of Jesus Christ, we receive it, believe in him and trust in him. I'm just repeating everything that that, um, Sharon said before. She said enough. All we have to do is when we hear the good news, receive it, believe in Jesus and trust in him. Yep, we confess our sins and we ask for forgiveness and, and we just believe that God has given us that forgiveness. Chapter 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. You know what faith means? Faith means I believe. So, for by grace you have been saved through, I believe, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You getting this? There is no way, that there's no grounds that any of us can go boasting in church, I mean, there's no way that anybody here could look down their noses at another, at another person here and say, oh, oh, look where you came from. Goodness me, I'm far better Christian than what you are because, goodness me, imagine what you were. I can, not, we all know what you were. You are so naughty before you came to God. Nobody can do that. Why not? Because sin, the cross and salvation are the great leveller within the church. We're all sinners, Christ died for all of us and all of us here, we've been saved, we've received this salvation. And that puts us all on this equal footing. That's what we all have in common. We were all deeply in need of the Saviour and in Christ we have salvation. There is absolutely nobody here, no one here at all, who are here because God said, Oh you're such a fantastic person, I've got, I've got to have you amongst my children. You're so amazing, you're so good and so nice. I, I want you as mine. None of us... Oh, I shouldn't say none, I, I should ask first. Is, is anybody here be, that person? No, of course not. The Christian church is a community of sinners who have undeservedly been given and received salvation and if you start thinking of yourself as any other way then you're missing the whole point point. and so if you're a sinner you'll fit right on in here but if you're self-righteous I'm sorry but there's no room for the self-righteous in the kingdom of God because self-righteousness is precisely the one thing that prevents us from receiving salvation you cannot fit the helmet of salvation onto a swelled head. You try getting a helmet onto a swelled head. I, I, this is the stage at which I wish I was a cartoon drawer and I searched the internet thinking surely somebody's drawn a, drawn a cartoon or something. I couldn't find it. I wanted to get somebody with a big swollen head trying to get a, a little helmet onto their head. Couldn't find it. But you can imagine it, Yeah. You cannot fit a helmet onto a swelled head. If you think too much of yourself, your self-righteousness will be what stops you from getting salvation. Because, oh, I'm okay. I can do it my own way. Yeah, I I don't need all that God stuff. I, I do the right thing all the time. She's good. And that's what Jesus used to find as well. Jesus used to get totally frustrated with the religious leaders usually. Because they are so full of it. They are so full of this self-righteousness that he said to them, you mark my words. That's not actually what's written in the Bible. He says something like, verily, verily, I say unto you. But that's what it means. You mark my words. The tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Why? Because they, they believe and you don't. See, those who are down and broken and outcast are the ones who know that they need a saviour. But those who are proud and full of self-righteousness and, oh, I'm actually a good person. There's nothing wrong with me, brother. Well, they're the ones who who don't realise that they need salvation. And so the lost are saved and the self-righteous are lost. Everything just gets turned on its head. So that's what salvation is and how we get it. And I asked before, is it something that's worth having? Let's take a poll. Is salvation worth having? Put your hands up if you say yes. Okay, hands down. Put your hands up if you think it's not worth having. Cool. It's the only means to eternal life. Second point I want to make is salvation is a process. It is begun, but is isn't yet finished. And this is the tension that we find in the New Testament all the time because it talks about being saved in the present. It talks about being saved in the future. It has begun, but it isn't yet finished. Back in chapter 1, Paul said, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of his glory. What he's saying is, salvation has begun, but we haven't yet got the fullness of it. He's saying that it's an inheritance. We've been promised it, but we haven't yet got it. It's like when, when somebody gives us a cheque, right? They write out a cheque and they sign the bottom of it. That's their seal. It means, yep, you're going to get the money, but you've got to get it to the bank first, and the bank cashes it and gives you the money. And when God put his seal on us, he puts his Holy Spirit inside of us. When we give our hearts to God, when we find salvation... Holy Spirit comes inside us to live in us. That's God saying, this is my seal. You will know that I will be with you forever because I'm in your heart now. You're mine. I have saved. I am saving and you will be saved. Salvation has begun. Salvation is continuing and salvation will be completed. You can tell me, when, when's it going to be completed? When's salvation going to be completed? When Christ returns, thanks, Jen. When Jesus returns, he's going to come as judge, and, and there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be very shocked with Jesus on that day. Jesus is coming to set right every wrong, to punish every evil and to comfort the righteous. When Jesus returns, finally, Satan and his demons are going to be thrown into hell along with all of the wicked, along with everyone who says, look, no thanks, I I don't need that salvation. And as God intervenes into this world with his righteous judgment, all those who are believing in Christ and have been longing for his return. will experience this complete salvation that we long for. So when you first believe in Jesus and make him Lord of your life. That's when your journey of salvation begins. And it is a journey. It's a journey that will continue. Christ will continue to be your saviour. Because let's face it, we continue to need a saviour. At least I do. None of us are yet perfected. And I long for that day when Christ returns, when sin will be completely dealt with, will be completely cast out of this world. And I'm not going to have that battle with sin anymore that I continually have. But for now, I need God's salvation to be continually working in me, as you need the God's salvation to be continually working in you. We need. That we have this continual need for our Saviour. And Christ will continue to save us until his second coming. So it's a process of salvation. That brings us to our third point. Can a Christian lose their salvation? What we read today is a little snippet of a letter and if you've been here all along you know we've been working through this letter for quite a number of months now. It was a letter which was written by the Apostle Paul to a little church in Ephesus and he's telling this church, he's telling this bunch of Christians to take, to receive this helmet of salvation. In fact, that's what he's been telling us all the way along with this armour of God. It says, therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Salvation is for those who are believing in Christ. It is not for those who once used to believe in Christ. It's not for those who thought, well, maybe it might be a good idea for me one day to start believing in Christ. Maybe I might investigate that further. It's not for those who who grew up in a Christian home and the parents believe in Christ and think, oh, well, that's all good for me, my parents are Christians, I must be a Christian too. God doesn't have grandchildren. It's not for those who think, well, I grew up in a Christian country, therefore I must be a Christian and and I'm all good. By the way, Australia is not a Christian country, it's a secular country. And it's certainly not for those who are self-righteous. One of the best-known Bible verses is John 3.16. Most of you would be able to say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now, in the original Greek, that that word believe, it says whoever believes in him... Grammatically, it's a verb, present, active, which means it's something which has to be present. It means whoever is believing. For God so loved the world so that whoever is believing in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's, it's a tense that means we actually have to be believing now. I can't just start out and then give up. There is a man-made phrase, um, you've probably heard it said, once saved, always saved. That's not in the Bible. Don't you believe that for a minute? You read your Bible and see what God says about it and you'll find time and time again, Christians are being urged, hold on to your faith. Don't let it go. This is so important. Put on your helmet. Take your helmet. Endure. Do not deny Christ. Don't lose salvation. Keep your helmet on. It's just so important. So it's a spiritual battle. We're told to pray in the spirit at all times. Put your armour on and stand firm. So what's the spiritual reality behind what's going on here? tell you, in Christ we are made spiritually alive. But without a helmet, Satan can get you. Instant spiritual death. We protect our heads, the most vulnerable, the most critical part of the body. We protect our spiritual lives, our most vulnerable part of our spiritual life, with salvation. Back in chapter 2, verse 4, it says, But God... Sorry, hang on. Sorry, I jumped too far ahead. So in Christ we're made spiritually alive. So what's the spiritual significance here? For those who don't yet know Christ, you need to know that the starting point to victory over Satan and all of his disruptive and conniving schemes, the starting point for victory over death, the starting point for life, is salvation. Chapter 2 verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. The starting point of new life is salvation. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, receiving mercy, forgiveness, grace, salvation. I just find it amazing here, though. It was while we were still dead in our trespasses. It was while we were still spiritually dead. It was while we kept doing all of those horrible things, which all of the sin, all of the wrong things we've done, all of our bad attitudes, everything that makes us contemptible to others and contemptible to God, it was even while we're doing that that God loved us. He loved us enough to give the life of His Son. To give us life. But Remember that this letter is written to a church. It's written to a bunch of Christians. What are we reminded of? I'm reminded, value your salvation. It's the most important thing that you possess. Don't be proud. Don't be self-seeking. Don't be self-righteous. Remember and celebrate the immense worth of salvation. The spiritual reality is that the devil wants you to devalue your salvation. Sharon talked about that a bit this morning with the kids. Don't forget about your salvation. The devil's going to start tempting you. Oh, you're such a bad person. You know, don't. And you'll start getting yourself down. Oh, I'm a bad Christian. And just give up. That's what the devil wants you to do. But no, you put your salvation on. Keep that helmet on. Remember the value. Remember what it means. That while you were a sinner, God loved you enough that Christ died for you. Now that's. For me, I, I think that should be keeping it real for us. that That's the reason we come to church, is, is to, to not only hear the word of God, but to praise him. We get together and it's like a big yahoo moment. Is anybody here excited about their salvation? Oh, four of you. Excellent. Oh, there's more noddings. Okay. We should be excited about our salvation. I think I've told you about him before. I've got a friend... Uh, and he had an amazing, um, he has an amazing testimony about he came, how he came to Christ. He's been, with, he's been a Christian now for quite a long time and now he quite openly describes himself as a stodgy Christian. I'm a stodgy Christian, he says. And he knows it. And he knows it's wrong. There's something wrong about this. And he recognises it. I don't want to be a stodgy Christian. I don't want you like to be stodgy Christians. Keeping it real. is putting that helmet on. Remembering the value of salvation. Remembering the hope that we have. And seeking the final salvation. You know, the, the, the Lord's Prayer, we're saying, we're praying for Jesus to come back, aren't we? Yeah. in your daily prayer life? Are you actually praying for that? Are you actually praying for Christ to return in your daily prayer life? I hope you are. Because that's what Jesus told us, we need to be praying. And what we're praying is, Lord, I want this final salvation. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Let's keep it real. This is home of salvation.